Please rise. Court is now in session. Please rise. Welcome to the Karen Conti Show. The tragic case that everyone has been what talking about. What lies in store for the people to be criminal involved. charges? What are the civil charges? What are the On possible? 720 WGN, here's Karen. Well, welcome everybody and Happy New Year. I get to say that because I haven't been on the air for, I want to say, two months. I, I walked in here. I didn't even know where the microphone was. But anyway, uh, I can say Happy New Year. The rule is you can say it all the way up until Groundhog Day. And uh, so I will wish everyone a, a very happy new year. We have a great show at 3.30, we'll be talking about the Martin Luther King assassination in honor of Martin Luther King Day tomorrow. What happened? Uh, was it James Earl Ray? Was there a conspiracy? Uh, was the government involved? The mafia? Were there other uh, supremacist groups involved in it? We're going to be talking to two of the authors of one of the most prominent books on the topic. And then at 4 o'clock, I will be doing what I normally do, which is taking your legal questions on any topic at all. Um, you'll give me a call here. I'll try to do my best to steer you in the right direction. If it's a news story that you want to talk about, whether it's um, the COVID Supreme Court issue, uh, whether it's the Prince Andrew story that came down regarding the Jeffrey Epstein uh, situation, I'm happy to talk about that. Or if it's just a legal issue that you have uh, or a friend has, I'm happy to weigh in, whether it's divorce or contract or criminal law, I will do my best. And the number to reach me is 312-981-7200. But now I want to get right to my first guest. This week, a local story made national news, and this appalled me. Uh, a Cook County criminal court judge was caught on a hot mic, and he was mocking a very high-profile uh, civil rights attorney, Jennifer Bonjean, whose office is based in New York. Uh, she had been involved in some very high-profile cases, and when the judge thought that he was off the live stream, he made fun of her appearance. And he said it in front of two state prosecutors uh, in a case that was a very important case. All cases are important when you're in criminal court, uh, where Bonjean was fighting to exonerate a man uh, she alleged was framed for a 1992 murder. So joining us right now to talk about that is Jennifer Bonjean. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Good. Good afternoon, Karen. Were you surprised that this situation kind of morphed into something more than just a local glitch and now it's being talked about on a national basis? I was a little surprised. I assumed that it would uh, catch uh, the attention of local media. I was a little surprised that it had the far-reaching consequences that it did nationally. But I'm I'm glad that it's triggering some conversation about some of the issues that women and all of us deal with uh, when we're litigating uh, in either criminal court or really any court. So let's talk. Uh, I first want to talk about what happened. Can you give us the back and forth as to what happened? Yeah. So um, earlier in the day, this was January 11th, I had appeared on behalf of my client, Roosevelt Miles, who has had a post-conviction petition pending for over 20 years. I came in the case in 2017, and he has alleged credibly, we have very compelling uh, claims that he was wrongfully convicted of a murder that occurred in 1993. Um, Without getting into too much detail, the case languished in the Circuit Court of Cook County for decades, really. And it went up to the appellate court twice. The last time it was reversed in 2020 and sent back. And it was assigned uh, originally to Judge Porter, but then he recused himself. And it went to Judge Reigns about 18 months ago. And 
I've been on the case for several years, about 2017, and I am extraordinarily concerned about the fact that he has not gotten his day in court. Uh, this is a potentially innocent man. We, I know what the evidence is, but we haven't had an opportunity to present the evidence to any judge. So we are very anxious to get this case resolved. You know, witnesses die. There may, there may be a scenario where he, he doesn't have the evidence anymore to present. And it was my feeling that the state had been causing excessive delay and that they had also made some misrepresentations in, an, in a related litigation. And long story short, we had a very heated legal argument earlier in the day that the judge, unfortunately, didn't really weigh in on, didn't resolve the issues between the litigants. And he just didn't even seem to be interested, quite frankly, in what was going on. Um, and it was heated, and I was I was upset, uh, rightfully so, uh, for my client. And so that is what happened earlier in the day. So um, just to interrupt then, for one second, Jennifer, yeah, sure. this is not abnormal. When you have important issues like life or death and people in jail for decades, I mean, these are hot topics and there's not it's not unusual for for lawyers and for judges to get heated about these and to argue and to go back and forth and to be adamant in position so again it doesn't happen every day but it happens a lot yeah that's that's right this isn't like every court appearance but it is it is occasionally this heated and frankly judges can do a lot to I guess tone, you know, a lot of judges could do plenty to resolve the conflict. This judge was not. In fact, one of the things he said in the hot, the high, hot mic was that he was entertained by it. And that's not really what judges are supposed to do. You're supposed to be resolving issues between the litigants. And instead, apparently, he was bemused by the whole thing, uh, at least according to his statement. And, um, but yes, th- and this is an important matter. My client has served his entire sentence. He is not going to get the remedy to which he was entitled. And that's a tragedy. That is a miscarriage of justice that I was passionate about. And I was voicing my opinion about it. And I felt that the state was less than honest on an important material issue. So, yeah, it it definitely is not uh, every day, but it's also not unusual. Jennifer, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, I want you to tell our listeners exactly what Judge Reigns said on the hot mic. And uh, I think people are going to be very appalled by by this conversation. You're listening to The Karen Conti Show. I'm here with Jennifer Bonjean on WGN. We're talking to attorney Jennifer Bonjean. Uh, Jennifer has represented uh, many wrongfully convicted defendants in civil rights matters. Uh, she represented Bill Cosby and was largely responsible for uh, his uh, appeal being overturned. Uh, very successful uh, result there. And also he, she is in the process of representing R. Kelly. Um, she handles a lot of high-profile cases, and her situation became actual national news this week when a judge disparaged her while they were on a live um, uh, Zoom or what was a YouTube stream. So Jennifer, um, you talked a little bit about why you were in court on this very important case. And can you describe what the judge said while you were on the feed? So uh, we later learned through someone who called me um, to just tell me that he had overheard this conversation on this live stream. And it was at the end of the day, the cases had all been called. There was no court reporter there. But the judge and his court personnel were still on a live stream. And apropos of nothing, out of nowhere, he says, oh, I'm just I'm just reliving uh, that argument between the state's attorney and Ms. Bonjean. And the court personnel, which were comprised of all women, started laughing. Um, and um, 
I'll just get to the sort of most important points. Um, he made some comment that, oh, did you see her? Uh, she, um, did you see her going nuts? Her glasses are off, um, hands through her hair, uh, the phone going everywhere. Insane. Okay. Um, and again, there's more laughter. But at some point, the judge says, um, can you imagine waking up next to her every day? Oh, my God. Um, then there's more laughter by the by the women court personnel, and uh, he then says, "I couldn't have a visual on that if you paid me." So there you have it. Um, at a later point in the conversation, uh, one of the assistant state's attorneys said, "Oh, did you see um, that young sweet man with her?" And he's, they're like, "Who is that?" And he goes, "Oh, that's her assistant." Um, he's an attorney. He, he works for me. Uh, and the assistant state's attorney says, oh, that's a 13-year-old boy in a suit, to which the judge replies, oh, that's her man-child. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so there's this very disparaging conversation, which is really not the most uh, offensive part about it. The most offensive part is that it, it involved, again, sexualizing a an attorney. Um, and then, of course, that bled over into a male associate. Um, and then it also makes you wonder why he is still presiding over a case where he has such feelings about the attorney who's litigating the case. And how should how would my client feel if he knows that this judge feels this way about me? And so it has a lot of implications. Uh, yes, it was sexist, but it was, it's more than that. Uh, it just you know makes you wonder if cases are not being resolved on the merits, but on other personal feelings. You know, uh, we talked a little bit about this off the air, but uh, I'm sure this is not your first sexist rodeo. And uh, and, and I, I just had something like this happen to me about two or three weeks ago. It was actually with a female judge. And I was mm-hmm. arguing very strenuously on an issue that was very, very important involving children and their welfare. And the judge said, don't be hysterical. Calm down, Miss Conti. Will you calm down? And I, I, I don't know what possessed me because usually I'm pretty compliant. I find finally said to her, you know, you have to stop that because the other lawyer, you gave him like five minutes of yelling, screaming and, and gesturing. And I and you're cutting me off. I said, I almost think it's because I'm a woman. She went. She was very upset and said, oh, I was the only woman in my law school class. And I and then but she calmed down and she then listened to me. And I think I made my point and I think I had to make my point. But I think what's interesting about this is that it's not just men making these assessments it can be women too yes no women are not uh immune from adopting some behavior that ultimately i think does stem from you know male sort of dominance in these fields but yeah that is that's happened to me quite a few times miss bongini you're hysterical or and even this judge in this comment uh, you know insane nuts she took off her glasses and at one point I dropped my phone. So, okay, I took off my glasses. I dropped my phone. I'm nuts and insane now. I mean, that's that's the that's the implication. I see men come on Zoom, male attorneys come on Zoom Zoom um, for court appearances that look like they just rolled out of bed. <laughs> right. Uh, that that they're not professionally dressed. They're not prepared. No one says you know boo to this. But a woman uh, who you know, took off her glasses and seemed a little perturbed that the state was not being honest. Yeah, I mean. You know, that makes me nuts and insane. So that is a form of sexism. But here's the problem. We we feel it in our hearts. We know it's happening. But usually there's nothing really concrete to point to. 
And uh, so we just live with it and we move on and we don't, you know, again, it doesn't ruin our lives. We just continue to do our work. But here you have something really concrete and there has to be a real consequence for these actions because, um, you know, there should be a deterrent so that uh, judges, whether they're women or men, know that they need to be aware of how they're treating female uh, litigants and, and uh, attorneys. And, and you know, you're going to make a good point about deterrence because judges themselves uh, can and states attorneys themselves can use deterrence as one of the factors in sentencing and to set an example for other people not to do these types of crimes or whatever the case may be. And so you're right. Why not have this case set a precedent? And you don't like to see anyone fall down and fall hard, but there has to be some ramification for, for women or people of color or whoever who are getting treated differently when they're representing people with serious problems that need to be resolved. And, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of happy. I'm not happy it happened to you, Jennifer, but I'm happy that it was documented and that no, and it's, and you're going to be believed because it's on, it's on audio, uh, video, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, that's the, that was the, I guess, the silver lining of all. Like I said in uh, a tweet, I mean, I, this is not how I like to make news. I've made news plenty, and I prefer to make news by winning my cases and being an effective advocate. But if it, if it prompts some discussion about uh, these important issues, then I'm happy to be the sacrificial lamb. I'm also happy to have a new judge because it was clear that this judge uh, had strong animus toward me that would have, I believe, impacted how he handles my client's case. At least there was the appearance of impropriety at a bare minimum, and that is something that judges need to be aware of. Um, when they are, we have to have public confidence in our courts. And if there's an appearance of impropriety, you can't have public confidence. That's so very true. And you, you would think that that would be a simple thing for a judge to do. You know, I mean, a judge doesn't always get it right. Maybe doesn't get the facts right, doesn't get the law right. But the, le- the least a judge can do is to appear to be impartial. And I know that uh, you, I'm sure you have the same experience. But when your client walks away from a courtroom, even if they lose, at least if they felt the judge was listening and understanding and giving you a fair mm-hmm. shot and giving you some time and making you allowing you to make your argument sometimes the win is not as important as the feeling of being heard and um, this is certainly very concerning now did did uh, was there an apology from any of the players in this Jennifer uh, so the state's attorneys did apologize Kim Fox apologized I got an apology from the public defender Sharon Mitchell and then the judge himself sent me an email, uh, which I would not consider much of an apology. Um, he said that he would apologize for his rude and unprofessional behavior and that it was out of character. Um, the problem is, is rude and unprofessional is not the problem. There are plenty of judges that are rude and unprofessional. There are too many judges who are rude and unprofessional. That sort of just kind of happens and goes without saying. Uh, you don't complain about rude and unprofessional judges. Uh, you'd be complaining all the time, frankly. Um, and uh, it's not a big deal. You know, we're litigants. It's, it's no big deal. Like, it happens. Um, it should, they should do better. It was, it was the content, the sexist content, calling my associate, who is a, a, uh, an attorney who is very um, accomplished in his own right to be belittled in a way. Why? Because he has a boss who's, who's a woman. He's a man-child now. Um, it was the sexist connotations that were problematic. And frankly, um, you know, there was a casualness about the conversation that couldn't help you wonder whether this seemed, this was something that happened regularly rather than out of character. No one seems surprised by the judge initiating this type of conversation 
uh, with them. So I, I question whether this is truly out of character. Jennifer, one final uh, question for you. I mean, you've been at this for over 20 years. You've had some really good results. You've taken some very tough positions and, and been successful. Um, what what advice would you have to women out there um, or minorities or whoever is in the workforce where you just have that feeling that you're get, getting treated differently because of some reason that's inappropriate? You can't maybe put your finger on it, but how do you counter that? What advice would you give to people? So I think that making notes of it for yourself um, and why you thought it, it, it felt that way, um, even if you're not going to call anyone out on it initially, is is important. Um, also, making a record at all times, that's the key for me. I always make a record. I don't like going off the record. And even if I'm not going to necessarily be able to say, oh, you know, you're, you're this or you're that, I can make a record of what's happening. And then um, I will let, then I can let someone else decide, right? And putting it out in the public has, has power. Um, just saying uh, this out loud, you know, judge, this is what you're saying. Is this what you mean or is this what you mean? Like, uh, and I've done that. I put, you know, judges, I ask them. I try to do it respectfully. So when you said this, what do you mean by that? Um, when you have commented that I have my hand on my hip, um, what are you suggesting? I shouldn't have my hand on my hip. Is there something about my body language? You know, I, I like to, you know, and I do it respectfully. I try to. Right. Um, because it's, it's not a, always perceived as respectful, but it's a legitimate know. question, and it calls <laughs> yeah, it legit- calls it to their attention, and maybe they'll back right. down, and maybe they they will understand that what they're doing uh, is inappropriate. Well, Jennifer, I'm sorry what happened to you happened to you, but I'm hoping that this conversation will um, stoke some good things in our Cook County courts and our courts across the country. Jennifer Bungie, thank you so much for joining us on WGN. Thank you for having me. All right, take care.